And once you learn to actually soothe yourself, and that means feeling an emotion, staying with the emotion, and actually slowly becoming regulated as you feel because you have the tools and it doesn't feel scary anymore. It doesn't feel like, oh my God, I'm sad. This means I'm dying, like to our nervous system. Um, it's, it's like, oh, okay. So my partner did something that, you know, kind of triggered anger in me. And now I'm going to deal with my anger. I'm going to deal with it. I'm not going to make my partner deal with it. You have more power over your health than what you've been told. This is the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions Podcast, and I'm your host, Maya Acosta. I'm passionate about finding healthy lifestyle solutions to support optimal human health. If you're willing to go with me, together we can discover how simple lifestyle choices can help improve our quality of life and increase longevity in a big way. Let's get started. Today, we talk about emotional and mental health and what we can do to take personal responsibility for our emotions. Marina Yanai Triner is a transformational health coach who incorporates the use of body work to help her clients process emotions and to work through childhood traumas. You can find her full bio and her links at our website, healthylifestylesolutions.org. Thank you, Maya. I love how you read that. I love Okay, so welcome, Marina. I always love it when you come on the show. I love being here with you. So I've said it before, I just kind of want to mention to anyone who's never heard you when you've been on the podcast. So this is your third time. The first time you came on and just really talked about the work you were doing as a health coach, helping people to get started on a healthy whole food plant based lifestyle. Then you came back. And I think by the time you came back, we had not started to work yet, but you experienced a tremendous transformation in 2020 and sort of changed gears. I feel like you're still in the health and wellness field, but you're really helping people create change. And then after that interview, that's when I knew I wanted to work with you. We can talk about that later. And now it's been over a year that you and I have been working together and your program and your offerings have expanded even more. It's like you just continue to grow. So I'm going to make sure that I link those two interviews to the show notes for this episode. But if you want to just kind of start from a little bit of what life was like, because I know you also experienced trauma as a child and what life was like. So some of the work and some of the things you experienced before towards the field of health coach. One of the things that I'd like to touch on, and I was just in your bio, is you're a somatic coach and you work with people that have experienced trauma. So you're trauma informed. And I know that you have your story of some of the things that you did in Israel, some of the work. I feel like that might be related. And also how you decided that working with trauma was right for you. How did that come about? So first of all, I immigrated a lot. And I think that's important to say, like, when I was two years old, I moved from Ukraine, where I was born to Israel. And then when I was 12, I moved from Israel to the US. And then I moved to Australia. And then I moved back to Israel by myself. And then I came back to San Diego. So like all these moves, you know, and that was really eye opening, but also involved a lot of trauma. Like my parents even said, When I was two, I was like yelling, take me home, take me home. Like I realized that we were moving and it was scary. And actually, I feel like recently I've been exploring this concept, which I really don't like these titles, but I'll just say them in case someone heard. But I just think of like two categories of trauma and they call it big T and little T, which I don't like because I feel like it's all the same, at least the impact that it has on us. But basically, big T trauma are things like war zones and earthquakes and natural disasters, assault, all these types of things. And then little t is categorized as small, mundane, repetitive things. And honestly, I'm more fascinated with the second. I feel like even though I've had big T trauma, I was sexually assaulted, I was in an abusive relationship Working through that, it was, of course, hard, but it was it feels easier than actually the second category, interestingly, because it's like so recognized now in society and everyone talks about that. The little t trauma and I'll give an example for people to understand. So if a baby's crying 
And the baby's parents are, you know, they had a long day, they're exhausted and they don't tend to the baby. And so then the baby goes into shame, like there's something wrong with me, I'm crying and no one's coming to soothe me. And then maybe anger and more sadness that the parents are not there for me. Then there's shutdown because no one shows up. I'm alone. I have no resources to deal with this emotion as a baby or a young child. And that's called little T, especially when it repeats. You know, if that's a one-time thing, it doesn't really usually affect us. But if it repeats over and over and over again, and I think that's so common because like parents are exhausted, right? And so most of us have some kind of experience like that could be like a death in the family or yeah, our parents just kind of being traumatized or tuned out from our needs. And so then it's so insidious and it's so tricky because no one talks about it. No one talks about how that then turns into us having trauma responses to things, meaning that we react to life rather than respond to things that happen. And we don't connect to our authentic selves. Like we're not actually responding from an authentic place in us. So that really fascinates me. But honestly, my fascination from trauma, I feel like I was born with it. I was just always so curious about people, how they function, how they move, their behaviors, or their thoughts, their emotions. And when I lived in Israel the second time, I actually worked in dialogue between Israelis and Palestinians. I would facilitate that for like 10 years, which of course a lot of trauma came up there. And I was just fascinated. Why do people get stuck? That was like my most interesting question. Like, why do people get stuck? I'm curious. Why do my plant-based coaching clients, they know what to do, but they're not doing it. Like, is there something wrong with them or is it something else? And that kind of like started my journey of figuring out what's going on here. When you work with clients in identifying those moments, do they have these revelations? Because I think even when we've done our work, when you say to me, what does that feel like? So I may be talking about a certain situation that is bothering me and you'll say, what does it feel like? Or what does it remind you of? And then ah, I make a connection, like or a situation that I recently had an upset with someone else and I didn't know where it came from. And then I remember, oh, when I was a kid, my sisters used to get into my things and they weren't careful. Like I was the, I was that girl that was careful with everything because we came from poverty, right? So I valued everything that I had. And suddenly when they started touching and tearing my clothes out or whatever it was because they were being mischievous, <laughs> I suddenly realized that as an adult, I still carry that. I'm very guarded and protected with things, even though it's just like, who cares? They're not monetarily like valuable like that. Or I had another memory of my parents leaving me when I lived in Mexico from a parade. I was a part of a parade and my parents left. They dropped me off to be part of it. And then they didn't pick me up. So I found myself walking. I was like six years old, walking home by myself. It was dusty because of the neighborhood we lived in. And I remember it started raining and I had like wings because I was a butterfly. And that really stuck with me at that moment when my parents forgot about me and didn't pick me up. At six years old, I concluded that my parents would not be available for me. Like they were unreliable. It's not about the event, really. Like trauma is about our response. It's not mm -hmm. about the event. So some people are born more sensitive and some people are born less sensitive just naturally. And so that's why I don't like those titles, you know, big T and little T, because it's all about what's happening within you. If that impacts you so deeply. And also if you feel like you don't have the resources to deal with it. So the younger you are, the more trauma registers because you have less internal resources. You don't know how to soothe yourself. You don't know that, oh, I can control my emotions or I can talk to someone and ask for help. Like you feel so helpless. And so it impacts you even more. So a lot of trauma we can trace back just like how you did, you know, oh, this reminds me of X, Y, Z. But the reason that I work somatically, which is with sensations in the body, is because a lot of the stuff, we have no idea where it came from. But it stays in our body as emotions, as sensations that we haven't processed, that feel very dangerous and need to kind of 
move through us. And I really like see it as like making clearing space and making space for just our authenticity to come out because then we're like, Oh, I don't need to react like that. Like that was a reaction that was driven by not really who I am. And now all of a sudden I have a choice. I actually can respond differently and I see the choice. But when you're like out of trauma, there's no choice. It's just one thing. I have to do it. It's urgent. It, and it's very charged in the body. It feels very, very charged. I'm a dog mom for the first time in my life. And I'm learning this whole dog behavior and language that I've seen how I'm reactive like my dog is. So my dog, you can train him and then there's a bird or there's someone at the door and he just reacts. And for the first time, I think out, I saw it outside of myself and I noticed, wow, I do that. It's not like I sit there and think about how I'm going to react. I just react with physical sensations or emotions. I don't know, but that I react. And when I think of the work that I've done, with therapists, where we always start in the head, and I'm leading to what you specialize in, which is that somatic work or the body work. I started doing a lot of work early on in my life with counselors and therapists and in groups and things like that. And you just talk and talk and you dwell. And I don't want to take away from the work that people do, because I think that the effectiveness is also about the individual themselves, right? Not just the whole field. So I had good experiences, but I think that I had never been taught about how trauma gets stuck in the body. So you were just talking about sensations. Can we talk a little bit more about that? Unless I'm trained to become aware of what's happening in my body, it's more like I'm reacting to what's happening in my body first. Is that right? Yeah. And here's the interesting thing about therapy that I kind of finally I'm able to verbalize is that I think if you come into talk therapy and you're just talking about things and you are very dysregulated in your nervous system, which is related to those sensations, which means that your nervous system jumps into fight or flight, like anxiety type thing, or freeze, which is when you feel helpless and shut down. If you are talking about things out of that state it re-traumatizes. So you're already in trauma response. And that's why I often have people contact me and they're like, I need your help. I really, really need your help. And I can tell like they're in trauma mode. It's urgent. I have to fix. Right. And so with that, it's like, notice how you show up. Right. And I'm not shaming it at all because that was literally me with almost every coach I've ever worked with until recently. But really like notice how you show up and how it's not the content. It's like how we approach things through a trauma lens. Like everything is so, so urgent or I'm so helpless. There's no fixing me. I'm doomed. That's that nervous system state talking. So that's why my priority with clients, number one, is to educate them. Here's the nerve, here's polyvagal theory, right? By Stephen Porges and Deb Dana. Look at this chart, check out where are you at right now? Which nervous system state are you talking to me right now from? Some people are very regulated. So that means that they're connected, they're present, they're in their body. Even if they're crying or even if they're angry, you can still be present and angry. Or you can be in full-on anxiety and angry or full-on shutdown and sad, right? So that is really re-traumatizing when you talk about past trauma and you are literally talking about it out of that state. So my priority always is first and foremost, let's regulate your nervous system. And we cannot do that through thoughts. It just, it doesn't work because your thoughts, when you're dysregulated in your nervous system are not logical, literally the prefrontal cortex part of our brain, which is the logical part of our brain is shut off. So our thoughts make no sense. And everybody listening, like, I'm sure you can relate, you know, how sometimes you say, oh my God, this job sucks. I'm never going to find another job, like all this stuff. And then maybe next day you're like, it's okay. I can work on this, right? Like everything shifts. And that's just, it's not your thought. It's not changing your thoughts. It's a different nervous system state 
that's what's happening. So it's not that your thoughts determine your nervous system state. Your nervous system state determines your thoughts. And your thoughts are just clues to tell you which state you're in. So pay attention to your language, your wording that's happening in your brain so you can actually see, oh, I'm in one of the three states. And again, we have ventral vagal, which comes from the vagus nerve, which is the longest cranial nerve in the body. And what's so interesting about the vagus nerve is that it actually sends 80% of information from your body to your brain. So that's why the nervous system lives in your body. And we need to go into the body. We need to go into emotions and sensations to actually work through trauma. It's not in your brain and in your thoughts necessarily. And so we have the ventral vagal state, which is where you're present and connected to yourself and to other people. Then we have sympathetic, which is that fight or flight, anxious, anger, rage, all this type of thing. And then the last one is dorsal vagal, where you're shut down. Maybe you have numbness in your body. You feel hopeless and helpless. And we want to move through the state. So we want to actually regulate our system before we talk about these events. If we talk about them from safety, it's a whole different experience. You know, I even had that today with a client where I noticed how they were like so like sharing from this nervousness. And so I was like, okay, we need to regulate. So we regulated and then the sharing felt so different. And the emotions also felt so different. So it's really important to regulate first and then move into processing memories, sensations, your emotions around different events. I love this work so much. I wish that it was so ingrained in me already that I could just be flying smoothly through life with these tools. But you've spoken about regulating and how that would start with our parents if they regulated our emotions. So I kind of want to go back and redefine regulation. Like you just explained about what it would look like with our parents. And I want to also give an example of exactly what you just said. My husband and I do these uh, short exercises every day with another set of coaches and we check in and we address the topic. And it's just basically learning how to just in one or two breaths, express what is going on within after we first regulate But I caught myself, I didn't catch myself, the coach said, I started to talk about a topic that brought a lot of upset. And I fled into the future, I flee. And I start creating stories about what this is going to look like in the future with certain topics and things. I do that a lot. And the coach said, stop, 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 stop. I just want to say, Marina, that pattern I grew up with of, of in my family, This is what was modeled in front of me, just going off, just letting it go, no stopping, just say what you want and it working it, working it. There's a lot of fear. So I tend to want to flee from altercations and upsets and things like that. So anyway, we stopped. We did what you also guide us to do, which is take a deep breath and relax and come from a place of what are you feeling? What's going on in the body? And then name one of the emotions. Are you feeling sad, scared? angry. If you want to either speak more about that, or at least I wanted to give that example, because once I was brought back to my body, I was able to communicate and just stay here. Don't jump to the future and conclusions and fears of what may come, but just stay right here, right now with the present moment. And what is most important right now, right here. Can you talk about that? Like if we had grown up in an ideal situation, what that would have looked like with our parents? I would say there's probably no ideal situation. (laughs) I think most people have some form of dysregulation. But I love this question because a lot of people think that being regulated means being calm and not having emotions. (laughs) And that is not a thing. Like we're human and we're always going to have emotions and we're also always going to have those different states. So I also explained this to a client today and it felt so good because it was like, actually that energy in each of the nervous system states, we actually need that energy. It's good. We just need to know how to work with it. So for example, in fight or flight, it's that kind of energy boost. So maybe when you go running, that's how you feel. You feel that energy boost. And then when you meditate, you go more into the dorsal, right? But you're still 
in ventral, you're still in your connected state, but you're borrowing from the other states. And so our parents actually are our first regulators because we tune to their nervous system. So obviously, if we grew up around a lot of anxiety or we grew up a lot of shutdown and numbing, we're also probably going to have that pattern. So that's really big. And so regulation means that you can move through all the states more smoothly. Like you said, I wish I could live life more smoothly. And that's exactly, it's not having that rigidity and also being stuck for a really long time in anxiety and in shutdown, but actually being able to move to anxiety and then move back to being connected and present more quickly. And then also your emotions feel really grounded and it feels like you're in charge of them. They're not in charge of you. And here I will bring in this point that I found mind-blowing that I actually learned from my coach. And I'm curious, like I talked to so many people about this because I'm like, do you find this mind-blowing or did I just grow up with really immature parents? <laughs> you know, I think most of us are five years old or so in terms of our emotional maturity. And what I mean by that is that we really depend on our partners and friends and whoever, like people that we're close to and we feel safe with to soothe our, us, just like how we were with our parents. Like our parents had to soothe us. That was really their job. A lot of them didn't do it right. <laughs> a lot of them just didn't have the tools. They had no idea what emotions are and how to work with them and how to actually soothe us. And so what we do is we literally transfer the role, especially in a relationship, in a romantic relationship, you transfer the role of soothing you to your partner. And it's so destructive. And I know I did that for many, many years. It's so destructive. It's also a go-to for many people. And also people who experienced a lot of trauma kind of feel like I'm a victim. I don't know what to do. Someone else do this for me, do this thing called life for me. And once you learn to actually soothe yourself, and that means feeling an emotion, staying with the emotion and actually slowly becoming regulated as you feel because you have the tools and doesn't feel scary anymore. It doesn't feel like, oh my God, I'm sad. This means I'm dying like to our nervous system. It's like, oh, okay. So my partner did something that kind of triggered anger in me. And now I'm going to deal with my anger. I'm going to deal with it. I'm not going to make my partner deal with it. And then I'm going to tell my partner, hey, you did this and this and it didn't work for me. Instead of like, oh my God, what's wrong with you? I can't believe you're doing this. Why are you doing that? You better apologize. If you don't apologize, I'm going to feel bad, right? <laughs> which is what most of us do. So I mean, I'm not sharing that to shame anyone. I'm just sharing it to say like, this is, such a huge breakthrough in relationships once we learn to self-soothe ourselves. So true, Marina. And I think the, the thing that I find the hardest and at the same time liberating is when I speak what is happening within me or when I just say, as we've been taught, hmm, I'm noticing that I feel upset or I notice that this situation is getting me angry or like I'm getting angry. And I probably should spend a few minutes by myself or something like that. It's sort of like a request. And yet it's hard to say I'm angry. I don't know if it's like, I don't want to be vulnerable or I don't want to look weak. So I don't want to say that I'm angry. I want you to see that I'm angry. <laughs> it's your responsibility to notice that I'm angry and do something about it so that I'm not angry anymore. Yeah. And notice how that is what you would expect from a parent right? Like that is their job. Cause when you're tiny, you don't know that you're angry. You feel this energy, there's anger and your parents are supposed to tell you you're angry right now. I get angry too. Sometimes here's what we can do to get our angries out. Right. And so probably your parents never did that. Mine never did. I know that for sure. They were like, uh, what do I do? Right. Or maybe like, I don't think I even had the space to express anger period. And when I would watch them, it was the same pattern between them, how they were relating with anger. And so of course it's hard because this is what we learned. 
And we also feel this like sense of entitlement. Like I deserve for you to like notice my anger and tell me what to do because I don't know. (laughs) And so it's really practicing day after day. And it's not easy at all. But as you said, it's so liberating that practice of dealing with anger. And I had this experience that was brilliant where I came home one day and I noticed like my partner said he was going to make dinner. And then I looked and there was no dinner. I was like, okay, like I'm already getting mad. Right. So I go up to him and I'm like, so I see there's no dinner. And he's like, so I see you're angry. Why don't you go deal with that? And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And I did. I punched pillows and I screamed and I could feel how this anger really wasn't about him. I could feel how this anger was very, very old and from childhood. It really was anger that I never expressed and was kind of stuck in my system. And once I did that, that energy moved and I was like able to just have a very calm conversation with him and say, Hey, you know, I thought you were going to make dinner and I'm kind of like disappointed, but it's such a different energy than like, Hey dad, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Like, where's my dinner? You know? But at that moment, the way he reacted, that didn't piss you off more. It didn't make you angrier. So it used to, but I think doing a lot of work around it and really understanding like, this is not his anger. This is my anger, even though he sparked it in my head. Like I decided that he sparked it. Right. But it's my emotion. So it doesn't mean I don't talk to him about it. It doesn't mean that he shouldn't apologize or any of that. It just means the emotion itself is my own emotion. It's not his. And when you think about it, when you feel like your emotions are other people's emotions, you're really coming from a place of being a victim, which is trauma. Because when we're traumatized, we are victims. And that's so painful. And it's also really disempowering. It is literally the most disempowering thing. Like I have this emotion. I don't know what to do. I'm helpless. So you take it away. So because I've done a lot and don't get me wrong, sometimes it's so hard and sometimes I still struggle and I still do expect my partner to take my emotions away. But I just know this is my way of living. So when he said that, I was like, you're right. It's true. This is my goal. And this is what I want to do, what I choose to do. Yes. And the other thing that I've noticed that contributes to sort of this chaos, or at least within me, anger, but I know that you teach this is lack of boundaries, which also I'm learning that again, in an ideal situation, you know, if our parents had been ideal as well, would have taught us boundaries. When you grow up with parents who want to please everybody, they want you to please everyone too. So do what you have to do. And then there was another author that you recently mentioned in our group work. And I went and I found her book on anger. And as I'm listening to the book, when she talks about like women are not permitted to be angry or are frowned upon when women express anger, it made me angry. Just to think about like, that is so true. And you said it earlier. It's not that we're denying our emotions. It's not like we're not supposed to have emotions, but maybe to honor that anger and to see what is that anger telling me, because then maybe we can make a choice. So boundaries, anger, and you also have talked to me about at any moment, I have a choice about the situation. So feel free to talk about any of those. Oh, boundaries are tricky. And it's something I work on myself a lot too, because we have so many layers, culture and gender and like all these layers of essentially everything is about survival. And so we want to feel that we belong because we need other people. We really do. And so when we have that, no, I don't want to do that. That is setting a boundary, but it's also risking that you're not going to be accepted into the tribe. It's like very primal. I was actually working on it this morning with my therapist and I was saying like, no, thank you. And I was trying on the different no thank yous. And the first one, it was interesting, came out like a little girl. I was like, no, thank you. And I was like, oh, I don't like that one. And <laughs> she's like, yeah, it sounded like a little girl. And I said, no, thank you. And that sounded too harsh. And like, finally, I was able to say, no, thank you. Which, and yeah, that feels. And so you kind of check in with your body. Like what kind of no feels good to you? And it's really about practice 
I think that's really, really huge practicing those boundaries because we never learn them in small doses. So when it's like really a big one, it's hard when we're just starting out with boundaries. So starting with even saying, I noticed how much I struggled to say no thanks to food being offered to me. And so just practicing that, but also exploring like, what are the emotions under this no? Like, why do we fear it? So what are the emotions? I found out I had a lot of disgust for some under the snow. There was a lot of disgust, which I link to being sexually assaulted, which is not saying no, right? It's the biggest like boundary violation of all. And so there was a lot of disgust that I felt and I had to move through feeling that and not avoiding it. So that which brings me to the emotions piece, which is like really... I love what you said, like feeling that anger. And it's all about connecting to your body and actually knowing I feel angry right now and I feel that in my body. I'm not going to disengage from it by overthinking or by watching TV or by just distracting myself. I'm actually going to feel this emotion and I'm going to find ways to allow it to move through my body so I can express it and I can release it. And I'm going to try to get her name correctly. Hillary Jacobs Handel. I believe that's her name, but I can send you after. And I also mentioned her in our group. She has a brilliant book on emotions where she explains so well how once we feel an emotion fully, we get into this authentic self state where we're just like, we feel good in our body. We feel connected, essentially like the ventral vagal zone. It just feels amazing. But we also have all these different defenses and inhibitory emotions, things that like prevent us from connecting to an emotion. And that includes shame, guilt, and anxiety, which is really interesting. And I really resonate with anxiety being a way to sort of avoid an emotion. And the other one is different coping mechanisms like procrastination or overeating, overworking out, undereating, like all these different things that we do to avoid emotion. And so I think I love that you let yourself like feel that anchor. I remember when I was doing something in my business and it wasn't working how I wanted it to. And I told my coach, I know I should be grateful. And she's like, no, you should throw a tamper tantrum of a five-year-old because that's what you want to do. And I was like, yeah, I kind of do. And she's like, listen, I work with millionaires and they have the same emotions as you. It, it never changes. You have emotions at all stages of your life. You might think that another person's like so elevated that they just don't feel angry anymore, but we all do. And so she was like, go cry, go throw a temper tantrum, go be like, mm, I want this and this and I need it now, you know, like a child. And so then we like let it move through our system and it just feels so good after. Are you also talking about just like physical exercise? Because I know that some behaviors could also be kind of avoidant. Like I'm going to go hit the gym real hard and yes. I'm going to feel better afterwards. But yet we don't address the emotion. So I think it's a very delicate balance with the coping mechanisms. Like we could use literally everything as a coping mechanism. We could use working out as a way to avoid emotion. And so we have to just be really self honest, you know, just check in like, am I working out because it's fun and it feels good or am I avoiding something? And it can be really helpful you know, for people who feel a lot of anxiety. But I find that most people that are very anxious and they go to the gym and that was me for a really long time, they move that energy, but they're not connected to their body. They're completely dissociated. They're numbed out. So they're working out all this anxious energy moves but their system doesn't regulate. There's no recalibration. They're not actually moving trauma. They're not actually feeling their emotion. So they have to start again the next day. And once I actually connected to my body and I felt I have anger and I need to move it out, huge shifts happen. And it's not just internal. It's like my business started flourishing, picking up more and more. My relationship, like the other day, my partner was like, 
you're a different person. <laughs> it's like, I know it was really cool, you know, and I felt like, oh, we can connect even when we have those discords between us and we can still stay connected. And with my parents, I feel so much more connected. So it's just so amazing. Like what starts to happen when you're actually connected to your body. Yeah, that's why we need coaches like yourself that are trauma informed. And do you want to describe what that means trauma informed? And I've also heard you speak about ancestral trauma. When we talk about topics like that, I can see that in my own family in my own lineage. But if you want to talk about that. Yeah, well, I think I told you you should have Mark Wolin on here. He's my favorite on generational trauma. He's amazing. And I bet he would do it because he's just such a good human. But anyway, trauma informed. I feel like that term is like thrown around and people don't really explain what it means. And to me, it really means like bottom line, it means to attune. And what I mean is like, when I work with people, I don't tell them, okay, we're going to do this practice and you have to do it. And this is how it's going to work. <laughs> it's more like, what do you need in every given moment? And it's really noticing that my client's systems are guiding us. Like I'm not telling people what to do, but it's more like, and I'm not the authority, which is also like very disempowering. And I know a lot of people who work in this way. And I personally, the last coach that I worked with, I felt like not just in her methodology, but in the way that she showed up with me, I was so empowered because I felt like this is my process. And I actually am the one getting the results. She's not getting the results for me. Like I'm doing this work and it's me, like it's thanks to me and I'm ready for it. So that's a big piece. And then also, you know, when we do different practices, everyone's different. And also everyone is different at every given time. So for example, I know I shared in the group that we're in a lot that breath work used to really not work for me. It used to really drive up my anxiety. And then recently I started to do breath work and it's amazing. And so it's really about, and there's so many breathwork facilitators out there who will just be like, push through the discomfort, push through it, keep going. And I used to do that and, and just go into this numb, disconnected state and keep the breath going and completely disconnect from my body. And it was just re-traumatizing. It wasn't working for me at all. So when I work with people, it's really about don't leave your comfort zone to a point where you're completely dissociated. We always take a step outside of a comfort zone where we're growing, but we're always like testing this balance of how to take just a little step and a little step and not really, you know, our culture is about like push and push and push and it doesn't work. It's not effective at all. It makes our system completely shut down when we go beyond what we need in the given moment. So that to me is what trauma-informed really means. It seems like I'm starting to have more and more guests come on. They have this kind of training in that field because they understand that childhood trauma can play a role in how the health conditions that we can develop later on in life. And so I know that some people may discount adverse childhood experiences. But I learned about that years ago when I lived in San Diego and I was training to be a facilitator in doing kind of not quite work like you, but most of the people that went there had been um, that attended these group things had suffered molestation, for example, at a young age. And whew, that's how I knew I couldn't do the work you do because I would cry with the people. <laughs> It's contagious. You know, you pick up the energy if you don't know how to protect yourself. But it was then years ago when I learned that if you were raised with certain conditions in place, an alcoholic parent, an abusive parent, you moved a lot, you had financial hardships just on a single parent home on and on, these adverse childhood experiences could contribute to then your prevalence for having, for example, heart disease, stroke, obesity, diabetes, and things like that, which for me, that's why it's so important to cover these topics. I've also said that, and I told you that I felt like 2020 was the year when all this stuff came up in my own life. And it's not that it really came up. It was just, it was always there. I was just too busy to notice. And this is why now I'm doing the work because I'm like, wow, I'm still dealing with this stuff. 
So yeah, you talked about that, like you explained trauma. And then if you kind of want to touch on how sometimes we can pick up those like ancestral traumas from our own families. First of all, you're the first one that told me about the ACE study, which was really fascinating. And definitely, you know, those things that happen to us, again, when we're so vulnerable, has have a huge impact. But then the other piece of what you just said is I was too busy to notice. And that is where misattunement really happens. When we're in this go, 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 go society, we kind of do that to avoid feeling. I mean, that's what I really believe. And I was just constantly doing and we never stop and we never ask, what do I actually feel? What's going on with me? We just don't leave ourselves the space to notice. And sometimes we do that because our nervous system is so intense. It's so dysregulated that we just don't have the capacity to process emotion. So we really have to learn the tools to regulate and then process emotion and give ourselves attunement that our parents didn't give us, that they didn't notice. They didn't notice that we didn't feel good. They didn't notice what's going on with us because they were so preoccupied with their own trauma, which there you go, is the ancestral piece. Because so Mark Wolin, his book is brilliant. It didn't start with you. And he talks about the science of how trauma goes back three generations. Because actually, when you think about it, your mom, she was born with the eggs that then created you. And so she carried those like her entire life. So all this DNA has been there with her different experiences. And so it's brilliant. His story is that he went blind and then he was like, how do I cure this? And he tried all these different things. He actually tried like juice fasting and fasting and food stuff and spiritual stuff and all the things. And then he would go to all these gurus and stand in line and then he would get to them and they would be like, go home and talk to your parents. And he was like, what? <laughs> but they would tell him over and over again. And so he's like, okay, okay. And when he started to really kind of recover the relationship with his parents and really not ignore different things that were going on between them and not numb it out. He actually healed his blindness. And so it's really amazing. Yeah, it's just such a beautiful story. And he has a lot of exercises in there about what you can actually do to trace back your history. Like for me, it's so interesting. I move at the same age as my parents moved <laughs> countries. And so we really do repeat things until someone in the generation has courage to say no more I'm ending this cycle and I really feel like that's what I do and it just feels so amazing to be able to do that to have the resources that they probably didn't in the tools because they were in survival mode including my grandma and my great-grandparents they were constantly in survival mode while I have such a better life and I'm able to actually pause and say, wait, do I actually want to be like this? Instead of just going, 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 like you said, that that going is like that survival mode where we never stop and we never question how do we want to shift things. So it's really fascinating and it's actually about returning the responsibility back to those generations and say like, this is your story. This is not my story. This is not my problem. And the stories in that book are insane. Like a girl who said, I think it was like, I deserve to burn myself or something like that. And it turned out that her grandma was like in the Holocaust and with the burning. I mean, and she didn't understand like why she felt that way all the time. And it wasn't congruent with her life experience. So really fascinating stuff. Well, I had never considered that probably a lot of people have been on survival mode, especially a few generations back that all of us came from. <laughs> Not many people came from riches, right? And, uh, yeah. and from education, which kind of opens the doors for you. So yeah, many of us have been surviving. So how is it that we're supposed to thrive when we're still kind of functioning from a five-year-old perspective? Like we're reacting, but there's also like compassion. Like I have so much more compassion for my mother because even though we had a very difficult relationship most of our lives, I have more compassion because I now see that child in my mother. Yeah. Like I see, so I, I try to be gentle with her 
Was there anything else that you would like to share with us? I feel like there's so much. There's so much. I feel like I'm always uncovering more things, but I think the biggest thing is that once you start this process, if you are interested in starting this process with yourself, you just keep getting the right things. Like you just, the right people come into your life, the right books, the right thoughts, just everything that you need to really heal. Because honestly, the universe is like so wanting to support you. And I really believe that you just have to have that intention But I just keep getting amazed. Like, I don't do anything, but like, I don't seek, you know, but things just come to me, like the right people and books. Like, I keep reading random books and I'm just like, this is exactly what I needed right now. And it's just so cool. So it's really about just putting out that intention. And it takes time. It really does. It's part of self-love. It's like putting yourself first by working on yourself. And it's hard when you hear someone tell you you have to self-soothe. To be there for yourself, it's like, what does that look like? I don't know. I'm by myself. But yeah, there are exercises that you've guided me through that really help me to calm down and to be there for myself. And that's at the end of the day, it's me doing my work for myself. But having you as a coach has been so helpful. Like I'm like a different person. Like I'm just so relaxed and my energy feels good. And I do feel same thing. Like as I'm clearing things, I'm attracting people. I like how you said that, you know, there's this need to belong. Of course, it makes sense. Like, that's why we don't have boundaries. It makes so much sense. And there's someone that I now work with in this whole plant-based community who has strong boundaries. And I'm just in awe, like, wow, you've really done your work. Doesn't have a problem communicating and not at all in a disrespectful way. And I'm like, wow, she could be a role model to me. I just have to pay attention to what it looks like when you say, nope, I'm not willing to do that because I'm not available or whatever. I do have a question for you in doing this work now. What is the one thing, and there's probably a lot, that you love the most about what you're doing now as a somatic coach? I think just seeing people have these moments when they're like, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. (laughs) Like, it's just so amazing especially people who come to me who are like super super dysregulated and they haven't experienced and that was me you know for so many years just like what I thought being happy meant or feeling good was not even close to what it actually means to me now because I feel it in my whole body it's just it's not just like a thought oh yes I am happy because life is making sense. You know, it's like, I actually feel so good, like in my body and obviously not all the time, but that's my favorite. Like when people just get that and they're like, I can feel like this, I can feel like this more and more every day. And I'm like, yes, it's just amazing. And so can you tell our listeners what programs you have right now? Will you be doing any more kind of group? coaching and then you do one-on-one and also what's the best way for them to reach you if they're interested in following you or to contact you for some coaching? Yeah. So I kind of run my business super intuitively and I am not one of those people who's like, quarter one, I'm going to launch this program. You know, So I am actually taking a day off very soon to kind of plan what's going on for the next, you know, week, two, month or whatever. But I have an online course that is a really amazing opportunity to learn this work. And it's called Treasures in the Trigger. And it literally walks you through triggers and how to regulate your nervous system practices knowledge information but also like the integration piece and then emotional regulation and liberation so that's a really awesome tool but generally i post everything on instagram so if you follow me there you will definitely know when new things are coming up and then also my email list and on my instagram there's a link and i can send it to you for seven free embodiment practices that you can start to do. And it's really awesome. I've gotten really good feedback on that one to start really connecting to your body and getting to know your nervous system and your just yourself. And through that, you'll be on my email list. So I will send out any updates and things that I'm working on. But 
in a month from now, my one-on-one is still going to be full. So no one-on-one for now, but soon enough. Is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? To just start to connect to your body, you know, it doesn't have to be so complicated, but just pausing, pausing every day and checking in what's going on, what sensations do I feel in my body, what emotions do I feel? I think that's the best place to start. If everything feels overwhelming and it all sounds like a lot, just start there and it's all going to become clear to you. Uh, Do you post any of this work on your YouTube channel and are you doing any more collaborations? I remember a couple of years ago, you did like a summit, like a two or three day summit with another group of ladies, anything like that coming up? I am actually doing a course with a coach friend of mine. And this is a course for healers, coaches, light workers, people that are serving other people. And I'm so excited about it because I'm going to be teaching this nervous system stuff, how to move through stuckness in your business and how to move through rejection and abandonment because those were huge for me. And I know they're so big in this industry. And then Natalie, Natalie Susie, she's amazing. She does communication. She teaches at UCSD. And so she's going to teach about communication. And she's also going to bring in a lot of spirituality, astrology, just really cool stuff. So we're like a really cool combo together. So that is a collaboration. I haven't been on YouTube in forever, but I do a lot of lives So you can watch those on Instagram. I love doing lives and people always tell me, I really like watching your lives because I feel so regulated after and I'm like, cool. (laughs) Oh, that is so cool. Well, I'm so happy that you were able to come back, Marina. It's just, it means a lot to me. And like I said, I feel like I'm having a lot of breakthroughs. And so, yeah, my next step is really working in business because I am deserving of everything that I want. And so that could be another, maybe, maybe you can come back after that, after I manifest some of the things that I want for my business, but thank you, Marina, for being here. Thank you. You've been listening to the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast with your host, Maya Acosta. If you've enjoyed this podcast, do us a favor and share with one friend who can benefit from this episode. Feel free to leave us an honest review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us to spread our message. You can also head on over to podinbox.com forward slash HLS to leave me a voicemail. Don't forget to subscribe. And as always, thank you for listening.